system. I find you in the shows and moving a great and being enough. The scientist comes everywhere you go. That's all I remember. For the audience, just in case, uh, what is that song? That's the Law and Order SVU. You should have. Oh, we should have done that. Remember at the beginning? For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, we are, in fact, old. And this is this is like circa 90s, right? Is it still going? It's still going. Uh, but yeah, we can't we, we can't play clips in the uh, uh, interest of that getting oh, pulled yeah. from any sort of service. So uh, just got to be very careful. Welcome back to the Design System Office Hours podcast. How are you doing, PJ? I'm doing well. There's no rain. It's great. The sun's out. It's almost spring. Loving it. How about you? What are you up to? Oh, yeah. This uh, pulling weeds, you know, uh, not building fences. So living the good life. We're, we're pausing that podcast. Or Yeah, we're pausing that podcast series. PJ and Davey build fences. It's going to be it's going to be a, a very popular podcast. But I played the Law and Order clip or I hummed it because we wanted to talk about governance. And we've waited over 30 episodes to talk about something that is uh, so controversial so political and some may say uh, paints us in the picture of being design dads for our team. Sure. I find this, I find this to be a really funny conversation. I don't know how we got here, um, but it is, it's comical. uh, And I look forward to digging into it with you. Yeah. We were going to talk about uh, another, another topic that we might uh, record after this, but one of the things that I think brought us brought us here was we we're talking about um, in, in terms of uh, what are the few things uh, if you if you were starting a new design system um, today or if you are on a new design system team what were the things that you would want to focus on what what are the pillars and previously at Disney Streaming it was all about uh, component libraries and the design artifacts themselves and then PJ was saying that he took an opposite approach and focused primarily on documentation. And one of the, I think, major, major things that we see as a, as a crutch as uh, when, even if we had both, both sides of this, uh, when it comes time for design review or giving feedback to, to designers, we can't leave any stone unturned. So there needs to be uh, bulletproof evidence and, uh, examples of how to utilize a thing. Otherwise, like there, there's a risk that it may be utilized uh, improperly or um, et cetera. Yeah, that's, it's funny because we constantly are looking for the one thing. If you just do this one thing, you're going to win at blah, blah, blah. You're going to succeed. One quick tip, um, and that's kind of the challenge here, is that there with systems, because it's interconnected, there isn't one thing that's, you, you can't just focus on one thing or you can, but it may, it's probably not going to work. It's how it's all those different touch points that make up the system and how they connect, which is critical. You can, you can always focus in on one thing, but there's a high likelihood at some point it's, you're going to have to go back and figure out those other touch points. So that's been, that's been the interesting journey for myself. It sounds like Dave, you've had the same issue as well. And it's just 
finding a way to balance all the different pieces that that make up a system. Yeah, and I think there's three to five things depending on who you ask. So we mentioned two of them. So the design artifacts, the libraries themselves, there's the documentation. You might say education might be a third one. And then uh, support and governance might be might be a fourth one. So three to five. And you can, sure, you can roll up uh, education, support and governance too, right? I think, you know, if you can get clever in turning governance into education and education into governance and conflating those two things in a way to where it doesn't feel like you're just getting like a gavel is getting slammed on the table with a, a judgment being made, but more about like helping, helping folks understand how the system is intended to be used and, and the best path to success. Uh, I, I think that might be a good way to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. The, the definition I would say, one of the definitions I would say for the design system, at least the, either the documentation or the artifacts themselves or the coded components. Uh, we'll talk about the coded components uh, a little a little later, but it's supposed to be the canon of the thing. So the documentation should be your written source of truth, your narrative of what the what this thing is supposed to do. And the design artifacts themselves would be the design canon. And we, uh, I think uh, at Disney, we were uh, maintaining both uh, components, screens, and templates. And, you know, we, we joke about this a lot. It, it was a little bit of a fool's errand, always keeping those page templates refreshed, but it became the canon. And it was something that designers always knew to go to that first. Well, we didn't have documentation, so they're not going anywhere. <laughs> That's a secret. Really well held secret as well. But they knew to go there because they knew that as uh, features or experiments had updated, uh, we would follow our own tickets, uh, really put it on ourselves to keep it up to date uh, as much as possible. And the documentation piece, I would say, should be fairly similar, right? Yeah. I, I, the, the problem with, we've talked about this so many different times, the problem with two sources of truth is that there are two sources of truth. And so you have the opportunity for those to go out of sync. That being said, um, you can't, I mean, you can say, well, we don't want two sources of truth. So we're just not going to have a design library, right? Like that's, that's, you know, maybe not the most practical solution here. And so that's, that's the challenge is how do you balance those two things with wanting to maintain a single source of truth while also understanding that people have to get their frigging jobs done and that a design library is typically a big part of that happening. And so finding a way to find a way to keep those things in sync will be the death of me. It's a constant challenge. I wish that there was a design tool that pulled from, you know, react components in a way that worked or whatever code based components. Cause it would just make our lives a lot easier. But until that day, we're just kind of, um, we're just kind of stuck. Unfortunately. Interesting that you mentioned the react to figment thing. So tall tale, true story. So one of the major things that was uh, a part of our design system when we had started was uh, when I, when I had come, uh, we, we were obviously in Figma, uh, but a lot of the artifacts were generated um, originally from an internal tool um, called Proton. Uh, once that tool had ceased support, we had to figure out a way, like you mentioned, is there a way to get React components into Figma and keep them in sync? And we 
found a plugin, we contributed to it, open source. Uh, you could find it, uh, React, I think, uh, React Figma, I think is the name of it. And the hypothesis, and I think leadership bought this hypothesis, was that, oh shit, you could just use this you know, script to bring components from React to Figma. Cool. Now we don't need to maintain the libraries whatsoever. I was about to say. <laughs> I'm pausing because it's not it's not completely uh, that, that cut and dry. Um, it's not um, it's not a uh, synchronous thing either, where it just automatically keeps in sync. You need to stage this uh, specific instance of the library in a specific place. You have to run the script. You have to push it into Figma, and then you gotta uh, spin around, pat your head, rub your rub your tummy, and you do the hokey pray. Pokey and you turn yeah, do the hokey down. pokey and pray that it uh, comes in uh, properly. But it, it didn't uh, come in um, all that well. But it, it got the components in there. But uh, the, yeah, there isn't any automation in the, in that sense that would cut out the actual building building portion of it but um hopefully we'll have more tooling that would uh automate that we'll have more tooling that would help us with documentation and and governance and i thought governance was an interesting one also just because it, it touches on the uh, xfn and cross-functional pieces of this uh, a lot of us get really caught up working specifically with design system partners only uh and the governance part is the the fun part where we get to work with generalists and product designers. And at Disney, being a part of the design ops team, I had a very good sight of everything that was going on uh, from like the 10,000 foot view. And then I would be able to go and solicit uh, pairing sessions and work with designers one-on-one. And when it's a team of around 20 to 40 uh, people at a time, I think it's uh, it's doable. We're also able to interject ourselves into the design process and I don't want to say mandate, uh, but uh, we would assign tickets uh, for folks to come through office hours to get a pre-review and um, to solicit solicit feedback. So that worked very well uh, in a very uh, structured environment. I wanted to get your your take and hear a little bit about how that works at Pinterest. We're still we're still working on that process. The, th- the reason why I said it, I think it's funny that governance is such a a, a nasty word in the design system space is that there are, there are all sorts of governance in a job, right? Like you probably need to bring your laptop to work. You need to show up to meetings, you know, on time, uh, you have to do compliance training. There's all sorts of things that we're required to do, but for whatever reason, using the design system or at least trying to use it is just this, this, impassable membrane that we cannot, we cannot dare discuss. And I, I find that to be uh, humorous because if an, if a company is investing money into a solution and it's not being used, that is just by definition a poor investment. And so that's not to say that people should be strong armed to use the system in a way that it doesn't support them or that the design systems team can just like do whatever they want and teams need to, uh, to just deal with it. There needs to be checks and balances, but, uh, but there needs to be checks and balances. Meaning if, if the systems team is, is fulfilling requests and is, is meeting those baseline needs, there needs to be some, uh, contract, some baseline agreement or good faith agreement is another way of saying it, that they'll be used though. They'll, they'll be utilized. And so if that isn't the case, just naturally, I do think a governance model 
is critical. Um, that a they're being used correct. They're being used, and then that they're being used correctly. That's the other challenging thing. Sorry, I'm 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 dragging on here. I'll be really quick. Adoption is this big topic within uh, within design systems. Um, the problem is that adoption is not something you can just measure objectively, because it it's not just what's being used, it's how it's being used. If you put a button down for someone to input text, that's probably bad adoption, right? So like a lot of this comes down to how the how components and patterns are being used within the context of a product. And I don't know, I haven't seen a tool or any automation that can that can assure that not only is a component being used, but it's being used properly within the context of uh, of the product. Yeah, I'll throw you a softball and ask you about uh, a mechanism. Uh, and you, you've told me about office hours there. Is that one of the mechanisms that you use to uh, try to tease out governance? Yeah, I mean, I, that's more of support, to be to be completely honest with you. It's fielding questions. and But but we are starting to transition into that space. And one thing that we're starting to do with our fancy adoption tool is that we, we have visibility as to what files are being updated and where they are. So what we're starting to do is devote a sliver of our of our of our sprint to uh, to look through those files and then to evaluate, you know, hey, uh, did you know that this component exists? You know, uh, there, this may be a problem from uh, from a UX standpoint or from an adoption standpoint. You may run into challenges using this component in this specific situation. Uh, just going back to like trying to put it through the through the lens of education but hopefully guiding folks to using Gestalt in the proper way. We're just starting to dip our toe into that because that can come off pretty, uh, pretty, pretty gnarly if, if done incorrectly or a little heavy handedly. So, so we're, we're just starting to explore, but this is our first foray into the education slash governance. Got to find a way to combine those words. Yeah. Support is a good lens to look at it. Right. So that's how at Disney we, we're able to participate in live design and have designers show us work in, in the file um, because at, in crits we have a lot of uh, presentation decks and it's not really uh, feasible or it's not possible at that time to go ask more minute questions like are you are you are you using the right type selector are you using the right color it looks like it's you might be using the wrong Disney blue or you know whatever. Um, so we try to utilize office hours as, as a support mechanism. Uh, it is not a place where we rubber stamp things. So we don't uh, approve or disapprove there. We really try to u- utilize the time to point you in the right direction. So it's a mechanism to point you in the right direction, I would say. The, the other thing, too, is that one thing I've been running, just kind of floating ideas by, is that if you want, <laughs> if you want to inject an industrial-grade amount of bias have the design systems team approve a design, uh, you know, whether it, it meets our standards, right? Because they're going to look through everything through the lens of the design system. So one thing I'm floating is, could we have a neutral third party say, Hey, this, these are our standards for quality. Part of the quality rubric is using our design system. We, you know, we think that, you know, you've used it correctly in these cases. We think you could use it differently in these cases to where we're not involved in those conversations. We're not, we're not over biasing on using the design system and, and, and basically we can say, Hey, look, like it wasn't even us that said it. It's this other team that has no skin in the game, 
about the design system, making these, you know, making these arguments. They'd obviously have to be well-versed in the design system, understand how to use it, proper, you know, proper ex- execution. But I think having that third party could help diffuse some of the potential conflicts of the design system team saying you're not using the design system enough. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where I'm, where I'm thinking about it, just trying to avoid any political hub, blue with us enforcing governance. That's an interesting thing. I say in many respects, like at, at Disney, uh, when, when we were uh, hot and heavy on, on governance and really had the system going, we had the advocates from the engineering team advocate for us. And they were in fact, a checks and balance for us. So if they see some things not mapped to a color selector, a type selector, they would flag it and they would tag us in it. So they were, uh, and in, in, in a sense, the eyes and ears for us uh, while they were reviewing work um, in situ. And that was, that was beautiful. And it's beautiful to have extra advocates, whether it's engineering or design. I, I think ideally what you're mentioning might be a good um, role uh, for someone that is like a, a heavy consumer of the system. They may be building uh, custom components. Uh, they may be a contributor uh, to the system. So I think any of those uh, roles might be a, uh, a good person to tap to get some uh, additional uh, eyes and ears on this. At Dizzy, it was a very heavy-handed process where we had two specific engineering handoff meetings, and I wasn't a big big fan of them because uh, if you imagine like how uh, a tedious sprint planning could be, for instance, and and sitting sitting there waiting for your name to be called, uh, that's how sprint planning was at Dizzy, anyways. You would sit through this hour uh, to three hour. Wow, engineering meeting. Yes. Where they go over ticket by ticket, read the description, uh, read the exit criteria, click on the artifacts, get feedback, very much a rubber stamp meeting. And that's a, that's a big checks and balance meeting because what we would, what we would, uh, provide and what we would, um, sell ourselves as is, um, we were the TSA pre-check to get approved in this meeting because we know exactly what's going to be approved, what might not be approved. We have a good idea of what the edge cases are, what that they're going to ask for. And if you need a shortcut, we probably know the shortcuts to get your stuff approved as well. So if you come to office hours and you work with us, um, we could help you for this engineering uh, handoff meeting. Yeah, man, three hours. That's uh, that's no joke. And that goes back to, how can you remove some of that as well? And I think the other area that we haven't talked about is just automating governance. Just the stuff that's like, no, it's not worth anyone's time discussing. You used white, you used a hard coded version of white. We can just flip that to a style. Like this isn't even a conversation. We all agree. Uh, It's just like, we all get busy. We don't think about it. We just didn't flip to a style. Let's just not even have the conversation and just flip it to a friggin' style. So that's the other portion of it is trying to trying to remove any of those low level gobbledygook through tooling and automation so that we can start talking about the more, you know, uh, ambiguous areas of adoption. So maybe you cut a three hour meeting down to like two hours and 15 minutes. That's the other area of it. And the nice thing about automation is there's no, theoretically, there's no bias involved. It's just a, it's just an, an an application that is matching colors and just you make it clear what it does, how it performs its task. And that's it always does that every single time. Consistent, predictable. 
hated that meeting. I, I hated it. Uh, I dreaded going to this meeting when I was there. Uh, but then now I miss certain pieces of it. I miss the synchronous portion of it, having all of the design engineers on the team that are our prime advocates, all the platform engineers on the team giving specific feedback. We don't have that luxury now at, at Meta because because the scale doesn't provide it. You can't get, you can't suck up two hours or three hours of someone's time on a weekly basis. That's ridiculously expensive, right? So there's a tool uh, that, that we, that we use to solicit asynchronous design review. So there's an SLA that we provide. Um, I would say it's approximately, I think five days within, within the week you submit your designs in this tool. And I think much like you were saying, it would go through the ringer of different people that may be involved, different designers that have knowledge. They may not have designed the feature. Like you probably don't want the person directly that designed this because of the bias. The design system was the last piece of that. So we were one of a few people that would do that. Now, even that is a little heavy handed uh, because you might be review, you might be reviewing work for, I would say maybe 20 minutes per task, but it's asynchronous. It's uh, you could do it at any time. Um, it's really just about setting aside an hour or two per week to go and review work. And I think that that might be a little less tedious than the meeting, uh, but that's just how we have to do it at, at our scale. It's a difficult thing, man. There was, you know, I worked with Davy at Disney. Um, so just spoiler, there was a level of rigor that put into things that we just, you know, frankly don't have the time for. And, and, uh, but but then I catch myself saying we don't have the time for, uh, and then I, and then I immediately ask, well, why don't we have the time for it? If, if it, if it can create that level of quality and that level of quality is going to bring, is going to net a higher yield than the time spent on, you know, invested, maybe it is worth it. I don't have the answers here. I am not a fan of three hour meetings to be honest with you, but but maybe, maybe it's that level of connectedness that just needs to happen. Maybe it, in some regards, maybe the, the asynchronous nature just, just by that very nature is what causes, you know, misalignment, uh, lack of visibility. I don't know, man, but, but there was, there are some stark differences. It was, it was definitely a different process. There, uh, was not a fan of it in many regards, but I can't deny many of the benefits, which was just a lot of consistency and predictability as to how something was going to get from zero to a hundred percent. I would say a positive also of that meeting was that um, it, it would usually be presented during times of when you're about to launch. So it would be the three month cycle before three to six month cycle before launch. Um, and ahead of time, you'd see all the tickets in in the agenda. So you could, if you were, a thoughtful person, you would go and do some pre-work to really understand what might be coming on the pipeline. And if you know that it's something that might be a little more design system centric, maybe go ping that person ahead of time and, you know, create an ally for yourself. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. It's, it's almost like a tale of two different ways of working and there's pluses and minuses to both. I don't think there's a right way. And, and I also think that, seems like a lot of companies are starting to reevaluate how the work has been done in the past and maybe all the assumptions and kind of Kool-Aid that we drank isn't as sweet as we thought. Um, and it might be a good opportunity to reevaluate and, and redefine 
what work looks like on a daily basis. At the end of the day, what, what we're trying to do is uh, keep a consistent quality. Of course, we want to increase the the product quality, but first we got to stay consistent uh, with the quality. So we've talked about this in the past. Delivery should be consistent. Things should be um, have the similar fidelity across across teams. Engineers should know what to expect when they click on this link in their ticket. Here's another opinion that a lot of people may not share. I think a consistent experience in and of itself, even if it's not ideal, goes a long way to quality or at least understanding of how to use it. If you have like just huge variances, like one, one screen is this beautiful, well thought out, well constructed, uh, experience. And then the next one maybe equally, but in a completely different way, you're putting someone through a rat maze because they're having to learn a different thing every single time. Now, imagine there's even there's variances in quality at this point. So now you have this great thing that works one way and then a not so great thing that works in a completely different way. And then a mediocre thing in another way, like as, as tough as it may sound, like just keeping something consistent, even if it's not perfect, at least someone has a chance to learn how the freaking thing works. But if you're presenting a different way of doing something five different times, that is maddening as good as it may be, because they're not there to experience this, this special surface, you know, these special individual surfaces, they're here to get a job done. They just want to know the rules of the game to accomplish the thing that they want to do. So consistency is boring. I admit it. It can, you know, some may think it stifles creativity. Um, but just as a person that a neutral party that is just there to do the thing, it's nice to just know, okay, these are the rules. This is how I do it. End of story. I think just to, just to wrap, like especially like if it's a um, a ticket for for a change or um, whether it's a breaking change or not. At the end of the day, uh, the engineers that you're working with want to know uh, what they're looking at and what needs to change uh, from point A to point B. And I was specking a beautiful color document that uh, I've, I've been finding that's been worked through and the outcome of what I want to deliver to engineering is, is a change log. Just like what, what has changed, uh, what we have questions on, what we need more information on. And we're going to meet with the engineering partner and see if this is the format that they, they prefer. And if not, I'll, I'll modify it. Maybe they want a spreadsheet. That's, that's fine too. Uh, whatever is the easiest for them to consume. Um, so we're, we're super open to it. Uh, and we're still learning about, how to work with uh, specific uh, engineering teams. And to bring this back into governance, because uh, <laughs> this, this episode kind of went all over the place. Yeah. That I think, you know, speaking about consistency, I think that's where governance is really important and, and actually applies an educational role because in some regards, it's unfair to expect a, a team working on a specific feature to know how every single area of the product works because that's not their focus. And a team that is focusing on governance, hopefully has that broad horizontal understanding of how the product works and why. And so in some regards, it's, it's not just to say no, uh, it's more to say, Hey, look, like this pattern already exists within the product. It's done this way. 
you know, it may be worth tapping into that. It probably is worth tapping into that to, to have a consistent user experience. Folks may not even know. A lot of it isn't, a lot of inconsistencies have nothing to do with malice. It's just, they don't, they didn't know it existed because they're busy doing their own thing. And so, you know, if we can, if we can kind of reset our brains around the topic of governance to where it's not just the captain buzzkill deciding that you can't do something and more about providing some shedding a light as to, Hey, this thing does exist. You know, these patterns are, are in our system for a specific reason to, or to solve this problem in a consistent, predictable way. Maybe that'll help, you know, up the vibes a little bit when, when there is a review for, um, systems compliance. Love it. Love it. And we're approaching 30 minutes. So as a roundabout, as we go, thank you so much, PJ, for another spirited discussion. Thank you. It was fun. You're being, you're being governed. I am being, I'm always being governed. Let's be honest. <laughs>